0: Father, I do thank you for this wonderful day to celebrate Christ's coming, the coming of our King, the King of Kings. I think of the way that John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord and help us to make those same preparations ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this time to work in our hearts and help so many things during this season that would pull us away from Christ. Sometimes it almost seems like it's designed to take the focus off Jesus and so help us help our hearts to be focused on him and i do pray that all the work that should be done in each of us to prepare for christ's coming would be done and you'd use this sermon for that lord and so to speak to your people i pray you would meet with them now that christ would be exalted and help us to just remove any distractions and be attentive to your holy spirit's work and ministry in each of us personally we pray these things in jesus name amen to so tell this morning sermon is prepare the way of the lord so we've interrupted our verse by verse eddie through luke's gospel for a special christmas message that also happens to be in the gospel of luke you won't be hearing the same message you heard years ago in luke 3. so christmas is always kind of challenging to put a sermon together because you can only have so many sermons on the um, you know birth account and this sermon came to mind for me months ago and so i've been looking forward to preaching it to you did anyone watch by a show of hands the debate that took place on November 30th between Governor DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida and presidential hopeful or presidential candidate, and Gavin Newsom, the governor of California? By a show of hands, anyone watch that debate? Okay. Well, Governor DeSantis criticized the way that Governor Newsom prepared San Francisco for China's president, Xi Jinping's visit and if you remember Governor DeSantis he held up a map of San Francisco that showed areas that Governor Newsom wanted cleaned up um, for the Chinese president's visit now because it's so disgusting I'm not going to tell you what Governor Newsom wanted cleaned up from the streets of San Francisco but I will read part of what Governor DeSantis said he said when a communist dictator came to town then Governor Newsom cleaned up the streets he lined the streets with Chinese flags he didn't put American flags there He cleaned everything up so he's willing to do it for a communist dictator but he's not willing to do it for his own people so governor desantis was upset that governor newsom prepared san francisco for this chinese president but wouldn't do the same for the american people and i mention this because it's a present-day example of the practice that's described in this morning's verses that we will prepare for the arrival of an important or powerful person in our day we will do it for presidents, like Governor Newsom did for the president of China. And in the ancient world, they used to do it for kings. The Old Testament repeatedly prophesied that a king was coming. If you remember when Jacob was blessing his twelve sons and he put his hands on Judah, he said, Genesis 49:10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people so the people shall obey this going to come so a scepter in ancient times represented a ruler or king's power and so to say that the scepter would not depart from judah was a prophecy that the messiah or a king or ruler was going to come from the tribe of judah uh, we know jesus to be the fulfillment of this prophecy which is why jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of judah we get greater revelation so it's abraham isaac jacob judah greater revelation in david's day when the covenant is made with him about his son second samuel seven thirteen. god told david i will establish the throne of his your son's kingdom forever i will be to him a father he shall be to me a son and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever now considering that this covenant is about a son who would reign forever we know that it looks beyond solomon who clearly didn't reign forever to jesus and that's why jesus along with being the line of the tribe of judah is also the son of david right revelation 5 5 he gets both those titles line of the tribe of judah son of david listen to the way the angel gabriel described jesus's birth to mary he said the lord uh, luke 132 the lord god will give to him to your son Jesus the throne of his father David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and so Gabriel told Mary that Jesus's birth was the coming of this long-awaited and prophesied king the Old Testament also prophesied what people were supposed to do when this king came in Isaiah 40 verse 3 it says a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God every valley shall be lift up every mountain shall be made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and so this was describing what would happen in the ancient world when kings were coming so they would send messengers ahead or we would say forerunners who would announce the king's coming and then the the people would begin all of the preparations so they'd get busy picking up trash and cleaning up the town to make it as good as new or at least as good as new as it could a town could be in the ancient world the people also prepared the roads to the town so the king would be comfortable while he's being carried in his coach and so people would fill in potholes they'd smooth out rough spots they flatten hills they'd fill in the valleys they'd straighten out the curves just so that the king's trip wouldn't have to be uh, too uncomfortable or curvy for him when the king finally arrived messengers would run ahead and they would say the king is coming the king is coming and people would start waving banners and they would celebrate they would line the streets cheering as the king made his grand entrance now as i'm sharing all this there's something that could bother you it would bother me if in fact it was the truth that this is what jesus wanted was this what he wanted for his coming as i'm describing what kings wanted in the ancient world the preparations that were made for them is this what our king the king of kings wanted I'm talking about kings being uh, spoiled or coddled I'm talking about people who are poor already working very hard just to stay alive because the ancient world is a difficult place to live now having to use their resources and time trying to pamper a king who already lives an incredibly pampered life especially compared to them and so you're thinking this is what Jesus wanted I don't like the way that this sounds didn't jesus say matthew 20 28 the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many but then we listen to this and it's a bit like well it doesn't sound like he's coming to serve anyone sounds like he's coming to be served sounds like he's coming like any of the other kings in the ancient world i've told you many times before that we get into trouble with scripture when we interpret physically what is intended to be interpreted spiritually so for example jesus preaches the familiar parable of the two builders was jesus really trying to give us counsel about how to build our homes was he trying to make sure that our houses had very strong foundations and would be built on rock instead of being built on sand no he wasn't concerned about our physical homes having strong foundations But he was concerned about our marriages our families having strong foundations and being built on the rock of his teaching versus being built on shifting sand when jesus preached the parable of the sower was he trying to help us agriculturally or was he trying to give us uh, advice you know hoping we become farmers and make good decisions with our seed that we're not going to throw it on uh paths or shallow soil or thorny thorny areas where it won't grow now obviously we know that the parable of the sower had nothing to do with physical soil and had everything to do with the soil of our hearts and that our hearts would be fertile or receptive to god's word right well that's the same with the preparations for the king when he comes and this brings us to lesson one jesus wants heart construction versus road construction jesus wanted in his and i would say still wants today heart construction versus road construction i think we know jesus didn't really care about roads and towns being prepared for him despite the numerous trips he took on dusty roads we have no record of him ever walking around saying something like man these roads are terrible i'm the son of god why didn't anyone fix anything up for me look at all the trash on the streets couldn't anyone have done a simple walk through and picked up a bit put some things in order for me the people did have to get so then you say well maybe the people didn't have to get ready for Jesus no they did have to get ready for Jesus he had a what in John the Baptist he had a oh come on what yeah he had a forerunner so it's not that there weren't supposed to be preparations for Jesus it was so important for there to be preparations that he had a preparer or someone we call a forerunner to go ahead and prepare the way for him but that preparation is not physical it is spiritual the preparation Jesus wanted and still wants is not about better roads to walk on but he did care about people having better hearts to receive him and this is what we sing let earth receive her king let every what let every heart prepare him room about our hearts making room being prepared it even says that prepare him room in your heart and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing these lyrics are all about preparing our hearts to receive the king and we get to so now you're saying okay so we're not supposed to prepare the roads we're not supposed to pick up the trash we're not supposed to clean up our houses we're, we're not going to act like we have I've heard it said that people will clean their houses better in the last 10 minutes before someone shows up than they might have the whole previous work combined week combined right and so is if we know we're not supposed to do that if it's not about being hospitable physically for Christ well then what does the spiritual preparation look like for us well we get the answer in Luke 3. in fact your Bibles probably have a heading for this chapter that says what what is what does the heading in Luke 3 say for you prepare the way of the Lord or something like that right this is all about preparing for Christ we're told exactly what to do John the Baptist prepares the way so we get to see what John the Baptist did to prepare the way for King Jesus two thousand years ago and it's the same thing that we should do to prepare for King Jesus today Luke 3 2 during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas the word of God came to John son of Zechariah in the wilderness verse 3 he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance and or for the forgiveness of sins now if we interpreted these verses physically versus spiritually which is to say we interpreted these verses incorrectly then what would we expect John to say well the king's coming pretend like you have that family coming over for dinner start cleaning up Get rid of all the trash, make it look good as new, prepare the roads, fill in the potholes, smooth out the rough spots, flatten the hills, fill in the valleys, straighten the curves. Instead, what did John do? It's not a trick question, it's what he's known for. It was his primary ministry. John, the, he was, what was he doing for people? He was baptizing. That's how he prepared. We don't, there's no discussion of cleaning whatsoever. He's baptizing people. So why is that? That doesn't seem very fitting for a king. The Greek word for baptize, it literally means immerse or submerge, which is why John the Baptist spent his time around the Jordan River where he could be baptizing or submerging or immersing people. The type of baptism John performed differs from the baptisms that we perform when we baptize people in Jesus' name. So we baptize so people can identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's the water they're still they've died they're lowered under the water they're buried they're raised up out of the water by someone like myself picturing God the Father raising Christ and this person is publicly proclaiming their identification with Jesus's death burial and resurrection but in Luke 3 Jesus hasn't died been buried or resurrected yet so Jesus or excuse me so John cannot be performing a Christian baptism as we know them so what was he doing he was preparing the way by, prepare, by performing a baptism of repentance. Let me show you two examples in Acts revealing people had received John's baptism but not been baptized in Jesus' name. Turn to Acts 18:25. I'll go through this quickly so we can get back to Luke 3, but just want you to see two examples showing that John's baptism wasn't sufficient although it did serve a very important purpose acts 18 25 he this is apollos apollos had been instructed in the way of the lord being fervent in spirit he spoke and taught accurately things concerning jesus though he knew only the baptism of john he had not experienced a christian baptism yet look at acts 19:1. it happened that while apollos was at corinth paul passed through the inland country and came to ephesus there he found some disciples verse 2. he said to them did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed and they said no we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit and then he said in verse 3 what were you baptized and they said into John's baptism having only received John's baptism now look what they need verse 4 Paul said John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him that is Jesus on hearing this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So now they have their second baptism. So you can be baptized by John and then have a Christian baptism or identification with Jesus death, burial and resurrection. And I had you turn here for another reason. Acts 19:4 tells us something John was doing that is not evident in Luke 3. So in Acts 19:4 we can also see that John or excuse me, in Acts 19:4 we can see that Paul said that John the Baptist was also telling people to believe so Paul says that John the Baptist was commanding people to believe so we prepare the way for Jesus by believing in him he said believe in the one who was to come after him that is Jesus now turn back to Luke 3. so we have John preparing the way for Jesus by commanding belief and also by performing baptisms of repentance and we see that in Luke 3 3. Luke 3 3. John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and this brings us to lesson two prepare the way of the Lord by part one repenting prepare the way of the Lord by part one repenting this is the first step of preparation you want your heart prepared for christ or for christ coming you repent nothing is more important than repentance because nothing will better prepare a heart for christ than repentance and so if you've ever wondered why was john prepare performing a baptism of repentance because nothing would prepare the way for christ or prepare hearts better for christ than repentance so john told people to clear away the trash and the rubble of sin get the garbage out of their hearts and notice the end of verse 3 it says a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so if people listened to John's message they listened to his message they believed they saw themselves as sinners and repented then they were baptized to symbolize the washing away or forgiveness of sin And I just want to take this opportunity to exhort you regarding baptism. If you are a Christian, then you are commanded to be baptized. It's not a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins like John performed, it is a baptism that shows you have repented and received forgiveness of sins through faith in King Jesus. And so if you stay here today and you consider yourself a Christian, but you haven't been baptized, then remember that God commands you to do so. And if you're a child and you're listening, then I would encourage you to reach out to your parents and ask them if they believe it'd be appropriate for you to be baptized look at the next step of preparation Luke 3 4 as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness you'll recognize this verse and the following verses because these are the verses that I quoted or read from Isaiah because these verses are quoting Isaiah john the baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness john fulfilled this prophecy so literally of being the voice of one in the wilderness that he was literally in the wilderness matthew 3 1 says in the days john the baptist came preaching in the wilderness of judea so he really was that voice out in the wilderness the verse continues prepare the way of the lord make his path straight so here's what's interesting we say that John prepared the way for the Lord but he didn't literally or he didn't in terms of doing the work he told people to prepare the way or he told people to do the work he didn't make the preparations he told people the preparations that they had to make and here's one of the first preparations he says make his path straight make his path straight make King Jesus's paths straight now we know we're not to interpret this physically so it begs the question then what does it mean to interpret this spiritually and this brings us to the next part of lesson two prepare the way of the Lord by part two providing a straight path prepare the way of the Lord by part two providing a straight path I want to illustrate what we should not do for Jesus or maybe say it like this I want to tell you what we should not do to Jesus by sharing a story from my life from this past week that will illustrate this so Katie has told me numerous times that Jake Motzkis and I are very similar she says we think similarly we generally seem to agree with each other we preach similarly we both love God's sport we generally um think preach the same and the Lord has graciously protected us from having the height of ungodly men in scripture one more thing that we have in common there's one more thing Jake and I have in common and it is our poor sense of direction Jake once told me that he's missing the part of his brain that allows him to figure out where to go and I'm missing that same part of my brain we are so bad together that one time when we were driving back from longview the two of us stopped in kalama and i would not say we got lost but we got off at the wrong exit and didn't know where we were now when you can see that kalama is not a bustling metropolis <laughs> then you can tell just how bad we are at directions now this weakness of mine has surfaced this past Monday night when I took Ricky to watch the Seattle Seahawks and surprised him for his birthday and we had, I took him to sushi in Chehalis about halfway between Woodland and Seattle to try to convince him that when we left sushi we were actually heading back to Woodland and I was convinced that he would probably recognize pretty quickly that we're not heading back to Woodland we even got in the car and the map that I have to use obviously I have to use it or else I'll get lost showed that it was an hour and a half to get home where it had only been one hour to get to sushi so Ricky says to me well if it was one hour to get to sushi why is it one and a half hours to get home and I said well maybe there's traffic or an accident which is a true statement there could have been traffic or an accident right and so I'm thinking how long am I going to be able to have Ricky think that we're heading to Seattle versus Woodland and so we're getting down into Seattle and we only it shows on the map that we're like four minutes from the stadium and ricky's like this says we're four minutes from woodland and this does not look like woodland <laughs> and i said i mean well i don't know maybe it's kind of that industrial area over by walmart <laughs> he goes and he goes i don't think so now the reason the believe it or not the reason that i was able to fool him as long as i was is because he's so used to me getting lost that he actually thought that this was just one more instance of me getting lost, and so the stadium's like right there, and I'm like, hey, do you want to go watch the Seahawks play? And so that that was, you know, I've, I've watched three football games in person. I haven't in my whole life. That was the third one. And I haven't watched a game in person in 20 years, which tells you I'm not not the biggest football fan, but I'm a fan of my son, and so it was a sweet, sweet blessing to have that time with him. Now, the reason I'm telling you this, the Seattle Seahawks stadium seats. 69,000 people and Ricky was gracious and never pointed out that it seemed like 68,999 people found their vehicles before we found ours (laughs) when we left the stadium (laughs) so because you go into the stadium and you're in this huge crowd of people it's just a mob and when you leave the stadium now it's dark it's at night you've walked who knows how many miles you know through and around the stadium so when we came out i had no idea where we were We were asking different people for directions i probably asked like two or three or 17 different people how to get to the parking lot where the car was and this one guy said and i quote he said you want to go left 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 right left right left (laughs) now i was lost after the second left that he told me so if you could look down on us from above our path to our vehicle probably looked like someone scribbling lines On a piece of paper. And I mention that because that's what we're not supposed to do with King Jesus. Don't make a bunch of lines all over the place. Don't make him chase you. Make his path straight, as the verse says. Don't make it hard for him. Don't spend your life running away from him. How many times I have heard, see, so we project ourselves on others. So my salvation experience as I go to this church someone shares the gospel and it immediately bears witness to me so I have plenty of other weaknesses and struggles but by God's grace that wasn't a struggle that I had to overcome believing the gospel I heard it and believed well because that was my experience and I project that on others I assume that's the case for others how many people have you heard say something like I was running away from Jesus I was not listening I felt convicted but I kept going my own way that's not making a straight path for Jesus that's a scribbly line that's all over the place when the Bible says to make a straight path to your heart for him and so do you have any obstacles between you and Jesus is there anything that keeps you from from reaching him or anything that keeps him from reaching you if you want to prepare for Jesus's coming give him a nice straight path to your heart Look at the next step of preparation. It says, Every valley shall be filled. This refers to low places or depressions in our hearts that need to be filled. So, lesson two prepare the way of the Lord by part three, being joyful. Prepare the way of the Lord by part three, being joyful. Fill in those valleys, fill in those depressions. The second beatitude, it says, Matthew 5:4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, how do we reconcile having joy with a beatitude that says blessed are those who mourn those seem irreconcilable or incompatible right being joyful and mourning jesus is talking in the beatitude about mourning over sin he's not talking about people who are constantly sad and melancholy joy is one of the fruits of the spirit which means if we have the holy spirit in our lives joy should be produced God wants us to have so much joy that we're even told to have joy when we are suffering, which is the exact opposite of what we feel when we're suffering. James 1, 2, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. 1 Peter 2, 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. It is a bad witness when Christians are constantly joyless. People are going to say what? Man, I do not want to be all the Christians I see are completely miserable if that's what it means to be a Christian then just keep that as far away from me as possible and if you're blessed enough to listen to Jill's testimony this morning during Sunday School she shared that what part of what drew her to Christ was the joy that she saw in Christians sometimes we must do what Psalms 42 and 43 encourage which is to talk to our souls if you've never heard this before, you should be told this at least once that we must talk to or preach to our souls. Psalm forty-two five: Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And this is repeated two more times: forty-two eleven, and then Psalm forty-three five. So, within a few verses apart, three times we're told the exact same thing because God wants to make sure that we don't miss just how important it is to talk to or preach to our souls have you ever heard that we should not listen to ourselves but we should preach to ourselves sounds kind of funny doesn't it but there's a lot of truth in it we shouldn't listen to ourselves but we should preach to ourselves and here's what i mean by that when you're tempted to listen to yourself listen to yourself say to you my life is so hard i'm so unlucky bad things keep happening to me why do I have it so much worse than everyone else statements that will suck the joy out of our lives cause these valleys right they need to be filled in to actually become deeper fill us with discouragement even depression we must preach to ourselves we must be like the psalmist and say why are you cast down O my soul why are you in turmoil within me hope in God for I shall again praise Him my salvation and my God Christians should actually be people who should be sometimes walking around talking to themselves right (laughs) walking around praying I think about Hannah when she was lamenting and and over not having a child and so Christians should be people who are preaching to ourselves and if there's one time that we should really have joy it's when we celebrate Christ's coming this is not my opinion joy is one of the themes associated with Jesus's birth Matthew two ten. when the wise men saw the star identifying Jesus birth they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when the angel appeared to the shepherds Luke two ten. the angel said to them fear not behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who's Christ the Lord joy is one of the basis or the basis forms the basis for one of our most famous and well-known christmas songs joy to the world the lord has come let earth receive her king joy to the earth the savior reigns let men their songs employ while fields and floods rocks hills and plains repeat the sounding joy repeat the sounding joy repeat repeat the sounding joy so if you want to prepare for jesus coming fill in the valleys the depression, the discouragement should be removed and replaced with joy. Look at the next way to prepare. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. This is pride, self-righteousness that needs to be removed. Lesson two, prepare the way of the Lord by part four, being humble. Bring those mountains down. Make those hills in our lives or in our hearts low. How many mountains or hills of pride and self-righteousness do we have in our hearts that need to be removed to prepare for christ or to make room for him we shouldn't have high views of ourselves we shouldn't think we're better than others we should be teachable receive correction listen to this proverbs three thirty-four. toward the scorners he's scornful but to the humble he gives favor now this proverb is so important it's quoted twice for us in the new testament james 4 6 he gives more grace therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and again first Peter 5 5 clothes yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble now these are very sobering verses to me they should be very sobering to you as well because they don't say that God doesn't give grace to the proud they imply that but that's not what the verse says the verse says God opposes the proud so it doesn't say God doesn't give grace to the proud, although we can assume he doesn't. It says he opposes the proud. The Greek word for opposes antitaso Tasso means to rage and battle against. I don't know about you, but I do not want God raging in battle against me. It makes sense that pride and humility are presented opposingly because pride says i'm good enough i deserved i have earned i should have humility says the opposite i am not good enough i don't deserve i should not have and people saying the latter can become objects of god's grace and so it's an interesting tension here there's nothing we could do to deserve or earn god's grace because by definition grace is unmerited or unearned favor But at the same time it does seem like we can put ourselves in a position to receive his grace we can't do anything to earn it or deserve it but we can put ourselves in a place to forfeit it and we can put ourselves in a place to receive it kind of like putting ourselves underneath the fountain where the grace comes out if you want to prepare for jesus coming and you want to receive god's grace then make sure the mountains and hills in our hearts are made low The next way to prepare the crooked, crooked, excuse me, Luke 3, 5, the crooked shall become straight. Lesson 2, prepare the way of the Lord by part 5, acting justly. Lesson 2, prepare the way of the Lord by part 5, acting justly. Getting the crookedness out of our hearts. Do we have any crooked dealings in our lives? Do we have any crooked ways we interact with people, any shady dealings any dishonesty or deceitfulness can people trust us do we do what we say we will do are we accurate are we honest the greek word for crooked it's skalios and it means perverse or wicked psalm 125 5 those who turn aside to their crooked ways the lord will lead away with evildoers one more time those who turn aside to crooked ways the ways that are supposed to be removed in preparation of christ's coming the Lord himself will lead away with evildoers so is there anything perverse or wicked in our lives if we want to prepare for Jesus coming we repent of crookedness or it seems God will treat us like evildoers the last step of preparation Luke 3 5 concludes the rough places shall become level ways the rough places do you have any rough edges I do this is convicting for me I can be harsh intense aggressive and this brings us to lesson two prepare the way of the lord by part six smoothing out rough edges the esv says level but most other translations such as the new king james niv and say smooth smooth out the way for christ so what rough edges or rough places do we have that need to be leveled or smoothed out philippians 4 5 a convicting verse let your gentleness be known to everyone the lord is at hand let your gentleness be known to everyone do people know us for our gentleness does everyone know of our gentleness when people think about us do they think well he is a gentle person or she is a gentle person that's convicting and then it says let your gentleness be known to everyone the lord is at hand so we're even told why we should be gentle we should be gentle because christ is coming it's particularly fitting for this morning's sermon so if we want to prepare for Jesus coming strive to smooth out rough edges and then finally Luke 3 6 all flesh all flesh shall see the salvation of God Luke 3 6 all flesh shall see the salvation of God well why does it say this because Jesus's salvation that's what his name means Jesus's name means Jehovah is salvation and so in this verse when it says flesh will see the salvation of God that's just another way of saying that flesh or people are going to see Jesus Jesus is coming we're preparing the way for him and when Jesus comes we're seeing the salvation of God because Jesus is the salvation of God so Luke 3 6 simply says all flesh shall see Jesus now on one hand that's not literal because we haven't seen Jesus like the people in john's day saw jesus in the flesh so john is talking about people who would see even some touch listen you know experience jesus in person that's not the case for everyone so when it says all flesh that shouldn't be interpreted literally but then i can almost have a good argument with myself about this because will all flesh eventually see jesus yes we will all see Jesus we haven't seen him yet there's only that small percent of people in all of human history who saw him when he came and if you think about it he never went far from home I mean his entire life was spent around Jerusalem Samaria Galilee in that you know that Judean area so most people never saw Jesus but everyone will see Jesus believers will stand before him and see him as our Savior Who died for our sins unbelievers will stand before him and see him as judge who sends us to hell but if you sit here today you must know that you will see jesus and you decide what jesus you see if he is savior or if he is judge but he will be one or the other you will stand before him at the judgment seat of christ see him as savior be rewarded for your faithfulness On this side of heaven or you will stand before the great white throne judgment resurrected with all unbelievers throughout human history to then be cast alive into the lake of fire because you chose to take the punishment for your sins versus repenting believing in jesus so that he would take that punishment for you now to encourage you to look to king jesus as savior versus judge i want to conclude with this to everyone's surprise when jesus came there was nothing royal, there was nothing extravagant about his coming. He was born in a manger. He did not travel on smooth, straight roads that had been worked on by countless people who were anticipating and preparing for his coming. Instead, he walked on dusty roads between Galilee and, and Jerusalem, sometimes at least passing through Samaria on occasion, just like every other ordinary person in his day no semblance of a king during his earthly life or ministry he did not have a fancy entourage he didn't travel with important powerful people he actually traveled with the opposite unimportant people the 12 disciples were as simple and as plain as Jesus himself now like a king kings have they get robes they get crowns they get scepters so let me ask you Did king jesus get a robe did he get a crown did he get a scepter he did kings get people kneeling before them did jesus get people kneeling before him let me read the description so you see what i mean matthew 27 28 they stripped jesus they put a scarlet robe on him they twisted together a crown of thorns they put it on his head they put a reed in his hand to serve as a scepter they knelt before him they mocked him saying hail king of the Jews they spit on him they took the reed and struck him on the head when they had mocked him they stripped him of the robe and led him away to crucify him so Jesus was a king but at his death he wore a crown of thorns He was beaten with a scepter his subjects mocked him and spit on him so i want to remind you what we celebrate today we celebrate god becoming a man in the person of jesus christ and that god could have had any life that he wanted he could have come and been worshiped and adored instead he came in a manger he left on a cross he lived a perfect sinless life so that he could die as our substitute and take the punishment that we deserve so that we can spend eternity with him you must decide how you will face Jesus when you die will you stand before him as savior or will you stand before him as judge if you have any questions about that or any questions about anything that I've preached in this sermon I'd consider a privilege to have the opportunity to speak with you after service father we thank you so much for Christ the King of Kings who came and died on a cross in our place we thank you that he took the punishment that our sins deserve so that we wouldn't have to be punished with an eternity in hell I pray you've given me care not for all believers or even uh, even other believers or individuals in Woodland just the individuals who have come here this morning Lord and so I lift them up to you those who you've sovereignly providentially brought to be part of this worship service that if there would be any of them whose lives were taken from them at this moment then they would stand before jesus as judge versus savior that you would grant them repentance and faith in christ i pray that you would open their hearts to the gospel and that you would save them lord we do thank you for your son we thank you for the joy of his coming we thank you for the privilege of worshiping him and i pray that the valleys in our lives would be filled up and we would be filled with joy just at the thought of christ coming and we ask these things in his name amen